Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for coming out today. Uh, Mark 15, verse 40. That's where we're going to be at if you want to open your Bibles there. All the kiddos are going to tween scenes. I want to start off today just by saying thank you. Uh, yesterday, we laid my mother-in-law to rest. Uh, she was 60 years old. Uh, she passed away uh, Pretty quickly, uh, we found out she had cancer, and then about two, three weeks later, she had, she had passed. And um, it's been a whirlwind the last several weeks, and been very hard on all of us, and especially my wife, uh, but your prayers and support and encouragement, and just your presence has meant the world to us, and really blessed us, and so just thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so it's kind of fitting today that we would talk about the burial of Jesus, and that's what I want to talk to you about. Our theme today is, is Courage. And uh, I recently did a Google image search as I was preparing today for of the word courage. And this is what came up. It's a picture of, uh, possibly, it's a picture of a dude jumping over one cliff to another cliff. And uh, to me, that's not courage. That's, that's what I call ignorant. Ignorant. See, that's not, to me, that's not courage. That's just not having much sense. That's what that is. When I think of courage, I think of this picture, uh, maybe some of y'all remember this picture, uh, when the Twin Towers were on fire, and you see all the smoke billowing, and then there's a bridge, and you see all these people fleeing from the towers on a bridge, but there on the, in the bottom of that picture, you can just barely see there's a little red and white fire truck, and it's driving towards the fire, it's trying, driving towards the disaster, and when I think of courage, that's what I think of. When I think of bravery, that's what I think of. Uh, unfortunately, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I sense a lack of courage in our culture today. Am on base with saying that? There's a lack of courage. Um, there's a, a recent phenomenon. I haven't just seen this once. I've seen this dozens of times. These videos of people in public just getting beaten up, beaten up on the subway, beaten up in the middle of the park, beaten up at the grocery store. And you've got people that literally, it's like they put blinders on and they look the other direction, they just walk away. They just walk past somebody getting totally destroyed and don't do anything to help. I see a whole lot in our culture of just going along to get along. And uh, it sickens me. And I think the, matter, the truth of the matter is nobody aspires to be that type of person. Nobody aspires to be a coward. We all want to be brave. We all want to be courageous. But here's the thing about courage, and, and I think I'll, I, we'll, we'll see it today in our passage. Courage isn't, um, you're not born courageous. You're not born brave. Courage there's a, a, is a conditional characteristic. And so there's a prerequisite. Something has to happen. There's something that has to happen in you before you'll be brave, before you'll be courageous. So we'll see today the precondition for courage. So let's all stand together. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 40. There were also women watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the, the younger, and Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women followed him and took care of him. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem. When it was already evening, because it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. 
when he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. After he bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down and wrapped him in linen, then laid him in a tomb cut out of the rock and rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were watching where he was laid. Let's pray. Father, we, we do love you, and we're so grateful for you, Lord, and we're grateful that you're merciful, and you're patient, and you're kind, and you're generous, and you're full of grace and truth and love for us, even us, Lord. And so we praise your name this morning. Uh, we long for more of you, Lord. We, we want to know you better. We want to follow you more closely. And we realize we can only do that if you help us. And so, Father, I just pray you'll come and you'll do what only you can do in this place. I pray that you'll speak through me. I pray your words are, hearly, are, are, are clearly heard, Lord. And I pray that all of us will have the courage to apply it. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment and just pray for the people around you, people in this room. A lot of burdens in this room. You wouldn't even know. Take a moment and pray for those that are watching online. Take a moment and pray for all those that are picking up their life after the hurricane in Florida, the people that are going down there to help. Pray for our city. That the Lord will have his way here. And pray for yourself. Father, speak to us. We're ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. And so uh, in our passage today, we see another Markian sandwich. Uh, if you guys have been with me for two years, then you know about the Markian sandwich, but I want to explain it again. Uh, the Markian sandwich is like, you know, a sandwich has two pieces of bread and the meat's in the middle, right? And so a Markian sandwich, in the Gospel of Mark, he does this over and over and over again. Um, and we see it right here in the passage. He introduces a theme, so this is the bread. And then he goes away from the theme which is the meat, this is the, the real point, and it highlights what's happening with the bread. And then he comes back to the bread. He comes back to the theme. So we see it today in our passage. The bread of this Markian sandwich is the fear of the women. That's what this starts with, and this little passage ends with. It's, it, it starts with the fear, ends with the fear. Uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 40, there were also women watching from a distance. We've seen that before, haven't we? And Peter as Jesus is getting beat up during his trial, Peter does what? He watches from a distance. Uh, so we see a similar thing. These women are watching from a distance. And then verse 47, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Joseph, were watching where he was laid. Again, they're, they're kind of watching from a distance. Uh, they're watching from a distance because they are afraid. They're afraid. Now, this isn't to pick on women um, or these women in particular because the truth of the matter is where are the men disciples, Right? Uh, they, they uh, at least the women were watching. They might have been watching from a distance, but at least they were there. All the men disciples had scurried off and they're hiding under a rock. And this is what I've seen in my ministry, and you can correct me. You can send an email to Dave if you don't like this fact. But here's the truth. In my ministry, I have seen, in general, that women are more brave in their faith than men. I've got theories as to why that's the case. I won't share those with you today, but I think there's a lot of things that play into it. But in general, women are bolder in evangelism. They're bolder in prayer. They're bold in, bolder in holding other Christians accountable. They're, they're bolder in calling out cultural sin. In general, women in, in their faith are braver than men. And I think it's a shame that we don't have more men who are courageous in their faith. 
Now, there are a couple obstacles to courage. One, we don't really see it in this passage. One is apathy. One is apathy. And I think that that is what's plaguing our culture. Our culture really doesn't care about anything. And so because they don't care about anything, because they have no conviction, then they have no courage. Okay? Um, the, other, the other obstacle to courage is fear. And so the men and the women disciples, they were afraid of suffering the same fate that Christ had suffered. Uh, a crucifixion and everything leading up to a crucifixion was absolutely terrifying. It was humiliating. It was painful. It was excruciating. That's where we get the word. Uh, crucifix is where we get the word for excruciating. That's what it was. And so they were afraid of experiencing that painful death. And so they watched from a distance and they hid. But Mark makes a special point to highlight that Jesus is dead. Uh, it, it's a theme in this little passage. There's a secret disciple, which we'll talk about in a second, and he comes asking for Jesus' body. And then we read in verse 44 and 45, Pilate was surprised that Jesus was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked whether Jesus had already died. When the, he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. So he was surprised that he was dead because it was too quick. Generally, people didn't die that quick from crucifixion. An eyewitness expert, the centurion, who's overseen probably hundreds of crucifixions, he knows exactly what to look for in a dead person. He'd seen the spear in the side, the water and the blood spill out. So he knew he was dead. He confirmed it. He's already dead. And, and, and so he, because he was dead, uh, Pilate agrees to give Joseph the corpse. And so important point today, Jesus didn't almost die. Jesus didn't pretend to be dead. Mark wants to make a point and make it very clear to all of us Jesus was dead, dead. He was all the way dead. It was the end, okay? Which makes what happened immediately after his death kind of surprising. You see, if he was dead, then that means Jesus' kingdom and his kingship was finished. This was the end of the story. There was nothing left to fight for. There was no need to put your life on the line for a dead man and a lost cause. But yet, what we see, verse 42 when it was already evening, because it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Okay, so we're introduced to a man. We don't, we don't read about this man anywhere else in the Bible. It's the only place we, we hear about him. We don't read about him anywhere in history. This is the only, the only place we see in the Gospels, the four biographies of Jesus. And so from those biographies, we can learn a few things about Joseph. He was a prominent member, which is a leading voice of a group of people called the Sanhedrin. Now, you'll remember, if you've studied the Gospels, the Sanhedrin are the people that convicted Jesus to death. So they're responsible for Jesus' death. Um, he is also, we find out here, Joseph is one who is looking forward to the kingdom of God. And so that's another way to say he genuinely desired to see God's will be done, and he was committed to doing what was right. He wasn't just a leading member of the Sanhedrin because it was a prominent position, because it made him rich, because he liked the recognition. He was there because he wanted to do things the right way. He wanted to see God's kingdom come. And so this is a genuine person. John, uh, the biography of Jesus, uh, the Gospel of John, it adds the detail that he was also a secret disciple. And so he associates, John associates him with Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus, John chapter 3. He comes to Jesus in the middle of the night and wants to have a conversation with Jesus, but he comes in the middle of the night because he's afraid of what all the other people in his position would think of him. 
So Joseph was an honest and decent man, a covert Christ follower, in a position of authority, who had a voice in the fate of Jesus, but he did not speak up when he had a chance to save Christ. He would not publicly defend Jesus for fear of what others would do or say. But now, all of a sudden, when it seems like there's nothing worth fighting for, and it seems like there's no reason to put your life on the line, all of a sudden, he took courage and boldly went to Pilate, associated himself with Jesus, and asked for the dead body. Now, this was very dangerous. You remember, Jesus was publicly crucified as an enemy of the state. The protocol was to take such a criminal and hang them on a cross. They would die there after, sometimes after days, it'd take them that long to die. And then the Rome would leave their body hanging on the cross for weeks. They would rot there. Birds would come and pick their eyes out and you know, animals would come and scurry and climb up the cross and chew on their toes, and they would slowly, their flesh would just rot off. And this was a way to make sure that none of the other people in this community followed in this criminal's footsteps. And so for Joseph to publicly associate himself at the highest Roman level, to go to Pilate and say, okay, Jesus was my friend, and I'd like his body. And so Pilate would say, okay, so you're a friend of an insurrectionist. You're a friend of the enemy of the state of Rome. That's a dangerous thing to do. You get that, right? But Joseph does a very courageous thing, and he asks for the body of Jesus. And so what motivated the bravery? That's my question this week. What motivated him to be brave? It wasn't hope. Jesus was dead. By all accounts, dead people don't come back to life. Everybody was convinced that Jesus' story was over. The disciples fled. The women watched from a distance. Pilate would not have given over Jesus' body if he thought there was any chance Jesus would come back to life. The story was over. The only thing that I can figure, and I don't have a whole lot, um, this is kind of conjecture, but after the crucifixion, Joseph and Nicodemus, they go and they see Jesus' dead body hanging on a cross. They see the vultures circling around, And they say to themselves, this isn't right. I can't, we can't let his body hang there. We've got to do something. They remembered his loving legacy. They remembered his amazing life. And they said, he deserves better than that. And so their care for Jesus brought about their courage for Jesus. And so here's the precondition for courage. And I think that you'll agree with me on this. Courage requires care. If you don't care about it, you're not going to be courageous for it. Courage requires conviction. If you don't believe in there's a right and a wrong, you know, if, if it's just whatever, then you're not going to have courage for the thing that you believe is right, if you don't really care. Firemen were brave because they cared about their city and the people in those towers. That's why they got in that little red and white fire truck and went over the bridge toward the fire when everybody else was running away. They cared about what happened. Mamas are brave when it comes to defending their kids from the bullies at school. How many of you mamas have done something kind of embarrassing for the sake of your kids? Yes, that's right. Why? Because you love those little babies. You care about them. And you care about what's right and what's wrong. And you don't want people to do what's wrong to your babies. Dads are brave when there's a bump in the middle of the night 
and your wife gives you the elbow and you've got to get up in your whitey tidies and get your pistol and tiptoe around the house, right? We're brave, why? Because we care about all the people that are sleeping in this house. Joseph and Nicodemus were courageous because they cared for Jesus. Now we see their care in verse 46. After he bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down, wrapped him in the linen, Then he laid him in a tomb cut out of the rock and rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. So they left from Pilate's palace. Uh, John chapter 19 tells us Nicodemus and Joseph did this together. They left from Pilate's palace. Joseph hurried to a shop because the shops are about to close. He goes into a shop. He says, I need a linen cloth. I'm sure he had to overpay. And so he, he, he spent some money because Jesus deserved the best. This is a fine linen cloth. Uh, John 19 tells us Nicodemus, he went and he gathered up 100 pounds of spices to anoint the body properly. Then they met at Golgotha. And it says here that they, not their servants, but they themselves climbed up on the ladder. Now you realize they have, these are rich people. They have servants, people that generally would do this sort of thing. But they took it upon themselves to climb up on a ladder Using some sort of a pry bar, they took the nails out of Jesus' wrist. Somehow they dislodged Jesus from the cross, and they didn't just let his body just dump on the ground. They they caught his body, and gently they found a, a, a flat spot somewhere they could lay Jesus down, and then they began to wash his wounds. This was a process. This took time. And I can just imagine them washing his hair, washing the spit and the blood out of his hair, pulling the thorns from the crown out of his brow, pulling the splinters from the cross out of his back, and slowly getting his body ready for a proper burial. And then with care, they take this linen cloth and they wrap Jesus up in it. And with care, they place him perfectly in the tomb. And then I can just imagine them putting their shoulder like we all do at the funerals, putting their shoulder, putting their hand on his shoulder and saying their final goodbye and walking away and rolling a big stone in front of the tomb so that no robbers got in. They had a lot of care and compassion for Jesus. And so they stood up for him because courage requires caring. Now, this is what I hope to convince you of today. Being a Christian requires courage. At its essence, it requires you to be brave. To follow Jesus requires courage. A few weeks ago, uh, I almost burnt the church down, okay? And y'all have to forgive me. It's a whole nother story. But before I almost burnt the church down, there was a lady over here in the trash. She was picking through the trash. Really skinny as a rail. She didn't have any teeth. And so I went over and I was talking to her. Her name's Rose. And so pray for Rose. And a self-professed addict. She was telling about her life, and she's got several kids, and they're all young. She's probably 30 years old. And uh, she was in tears. She's saying, I I don't want to be an addict. I don't like this life. I'd like to get clean. And I told her, I said, well, Rose, I'll do, our church will do everything we can to help you. We will get you all the resources you need. We will help you get clean. And she said to me something I'll never forget. She said, I'm scared of change. I'm scared of change. I think there's a lot of people that are scared of change, and so they never do the thing that they know they ought to do because they're comfortable. 
the drugs is what's got her through up to this point, and she doesn't know how her life's going to be. Doesn't know how her life's going to be. Once she stops putting that needle in her arm, once she stops popping those pills, she doesn't know. She doesn't know how she's going to handle it, the fear and the guilt and the shame. Without that thing, that's her crutch. That's her safety. And so it's scary for her to give that up. In the same way, all of us, at a certain point, when we're going to claim Christ, we've got to have that courage. It takes courage to publicly associate with Christ. It takes courage to say, okay, well, I've been doing my life my way, and these are all my coping mechanisms, and these are all the things that bring me joy and happiness and peace. But now I'm supposed to turn all these things over to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, if none of this stuff matches up with you, I'm going to give it up, and I'm going to do things your way. That's a scary proposition. And then part of that is at some point, you got to step out into an aisle and come and talk to a preacher and confess that you're a sinner, that you can't save yourself, that you need Jesus, and publicly identify with Christ through baptism. That's a scary thing for a lot of people to do. It takes courage. It takes courage to say, I love Jesus, I need Jesus, I'm a lost and dying sinner without Jesus, and I don't care if the whole world knows it. That takes courage. It takes courage just to daily live for Christ. To sacrifice temporary pleasure for eternal gain. That takes courage. The disciples say, they said, we've left house and home to follow you, Christ. Many of you, you've, you've left friends, haven't you? Many of you, you've left bad habits that you know Jesus doesn't approve of. Many of you have left situations that you knew weren't good for you. Many of you have left uh, these different things that were integral part of your life. You left it behind because you knew you couldn't follow Jesus and still have this thing. And Jesus says to his disciples who said, what are you going to do? For We've left house and home. What about us? And Jesus says, a hundred times over, you'll be repaid in the kingdom come. Well, it takes courage to believe that. It takes courage to walk as if that's true. It takes courage to sacrifice yourself for the sake of the kingdom, to go serving other people, many times who aren't grateful, many times who aren't very receptive, many times who, who don't change their life, and you still go and serve them. It takes courage to give your time and your money to advance the mission of the church. Because in the back of your mind, you're like, well, is this a waste? I could, I could use this money on another subscription. I could buy me some, some new Jordans with this money, some new golf clubs. It'd be nice. But instead, I'm going I'm to give to the mission of the church. Is this a waste? It takes courage. It takes courage to evangelize the lost, telling your testimony, inviting somebody to church, sharing the gospel. That's putting yourself out there. It's opening like your most intimate part of yourself up to somebody else, and you're like, hey, I want you to respond to this. And it hurts when they reject you, doesn't it? It hurts when you pour your little heart out to somebody. You're like, I love Jesus. I don't care who knows. And you're like, ah, Jesus is stupid. Get out of here. That hurts. It's scary. It takes courage. It takes courage to forgive. Leaving justice in the hands of God. Isn't that what the Bible says? Leave good room for God's wrath. It takes courage to say, God, I'm going to trust you to do what's right in this person's life. I'm not, I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm going to let you deal with this person. That takes courage because sometimes we don't see it. Not in this life, right? Takes courage. Takes courage keeping the faith, to keep believing, to keep coming to church, to keep reading your Bible, to keep praying, to keep praising when your circumstances 
keep telling you this isn't working. That's one of the hard part about ministry. When you got people that are going through something and this thing they're going through, it doesn't go away in a week. It doesn't go away in a month. It doesn't go away in a year. Sometimes you're fighting with this thing for 10 years and you're praying for 10 years. Lord, heal me from this. Deliver me from this. Redeem me from this. Help me with this. Fix me. Fix this. And you pray and you pray and you pray and you come to church and you read your Bible and you, you lift your hands in prayer, praise and you keep doing all the things that you know to be right to do. But it doesn't doesn't feel like sometimes it's working. And so it takes courage to continue to do the right things. It, keeps, it takes courage. And then there's the ultimate courage that's required to be a martyr for Christ. You know, every day around the world, Christians make the ultimate sacrifice for their faith. It's hard for us to see that because we live in such a country that's free and I don't know if that'll ever be a possibility here, but it may. But it is happening. There's a video recently that surfaced of um, a situation in Africa where Muslims are just doing awful things to Christian people. It takes courage to identify with Christ and be a martyr, saying, I'd rather die a painful death than to deny my Lord. That takes a lot of courage. And many of you, you're here today, and you're like, I got that courage. If it, if it ever came down to it, and there's a, there's a gun to my head, and it's do or die, I'm going to claim Christ. But here's the problem. Many of you don't have the courage to die to your sin. Many of you don't have the courage to forgive. Many of you don't have the courage to give your time and your talent to advance the kingdom of God. If you don't have the courage to do the small thing, if you don't have the courage to do the thing that's not gonna cost you that much, then how are you gonna have the courage when it really comes down to it, if it ever came down to it? And you say, well, you don't understand. I'm, I, might, I might not be as disciplined and as faithful as I should be right now, but if it ever came down to it, I would will myself to do the right thing. No, you wouldn't. Because courage for Christ does not come from your will. Courage from, for Christ comes from the cross. Now, some of you, and I want to dispel this myth, some of you, you come here and you, and you said, well, part of the reason I'm at this church is because I was introduced to you and you showed some sort of courage. And so let me dispel, I'm not, a, I'm not any more courageous than any person in this room. If there were like three birds in this, in this gym flying around, that would totally freak me out and I would hide under this pulpit, okay? Just little, just tiny birds. I'm not that courageous, okay? But here's the thing, I love Jesus. I love him. And I think about what he's done. I think about that he left from heaven all the angels surrounded him, a crown of glory on his head, and them giving him the praise that he deserves. And he looked down on us, and he said, they can't save themselves. They're hopeless. And so he inconvenienced himself, and he put on skin and bones, and he came down here, and he walked this earth for 33 years, and he put up with everything you can imagine. 
And he did it flawlessly. He did it perfectly. He did it unwaveringly. He did it. And at the end of it, they nailed him to a tree, and he allowed himself to do that. He allowed himself to get hung up on this tree, and he hanged there until he died. Not just a little dead, all the way dead. No life left in him. And then he allowed himself to be buried. And I think about all he did for my sake. He didn't have to do that. You know, like, I think sometimes we think that God, like, needs me in some way. That if, if like, if I, if I don't end up in heaven, God is going to, like, you know, he's going to be missing. God doesn't need any of us. He is complete in and of himself. He, he really is. And so it's, it's not like he has to have us. He didn't need to come down here. If he didn't come down here, he, it would not have like taken away from his goodness or his glory or his completeness in any way. He did it because he loves me. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he loves Winchester. Just think about the kindness of our Lord. Just think about the grace of our Lord. Just think about the mercy of our Lord. And I think about this. I think about how good he's been. I think about the truth that he shared with us. I think about how he's changed my life. I think about the hope that he's given me, the peace that he's given me, the joy that he's given me, the purpose that he's given me. I think about these things, and then I see the way our world responds to him, that they deny him, and they reject him, and they disrespect him, and they mock him. I, I drive downtown, and I see the, a mural that's two stories high, right? That represents just murdering babies. That's what I see. And, and, and I see this, this sign of the Lord's covenant that is hijacked to celebrate sexual perversion. I see this. I see, uh, I see what is evil being called good. I see all these things. And I think about what the Lord's done. And I'm just like, this ain't right. It's not right. He deserves better than that. Winchester is his city. And I want to see Winchester Serve Jesus the way Jesus deserves to be served. And so I can't help but say something. I can't help but do something, right? Because he needs it. I mean, it's not, he deserves it. He's worthy of that. Even though sometimes it gets us into trouble. Now, here's the thing. I, I, this isn't a charge for you to be a Christian culture warrior because that's probably not your calling. But I would so encourage you to show some semblance of bravery in following Christ. Nicodemus respected Christ for finally, to the point where he finally won out over his fear, and he's like, I, I, it may kill me, but I, I gotta go and talk to Jesus. And so he went that night. Joseph, he has this affection for Christ, and it finally went out over his fear and anxiety. He says, it may get me killed, but I gotta do something. I can't leave his body hanging up there. So he went to Pilate that day. It may kill you, Rose, to get off of drugs. It may kill you. It may kill you to forgive this person who's done you some wrong. It, it may kill you to give up your selfish dreams because you know they don't match up with God's plan for your life. It may kill you. It may kill you to share the gospel and get rejected. It may kill you to tell the truth and reject the lies and be an outcast in society. It may kill you. It may kill you to stand up for what is right and true and good and innocent. It may kill you. It may kill you to be a Christian, but courageously following Christ is what we need to do because he is worth it, period. He is worth it, and the world needs it. Without Christian courage, bullies get away with it. 
Without Christian courage, the people are deceived. Without Christian courage, the darkness wins the day. Without Christian courage, the world goes to hell. Now, we care about that, don't we? We care about it. So may it never be of us. Resolve yourself today to stand up for Christ, to stand up for what's true, to stand up for what's right, for the sake of the Lord and for your love for humanity. And there's a promise that's implied in this passage if we will courageously follow Christ. You see, the burial of Christ is a key component of the gospel that we often overlook. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 and following, Paul says, I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you. So he's trying to clear it up, make sure that we know what it is. Which you received, on which you have taken your stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. What is the gospel? What is the good news? What is the victory announcement of the king? What is it? Okay, verse three. For I passed, pressed, passed on to you as most important. Okay, so this is the most important thing. What I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. And so here's the gospel. Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. On the cross, Jesus dealt with your sin. Through the tomb, Jesus defeated the grave. The resurrection is proof of the victory. And so think about it this way. On the cross, Jesus absorbed all the evil, all the negative consequences of sins. He absorbed it on himself. He took it all upon himself. And, and that's, that's when Jesus says, Father, uh, Father, why have you forsaken me? He's absorbed. He's taken all that evil could he, it just unleash the fury of hell. It's all placed on him. And he absorbs it all, and it kills him. Okay? And he did that to take the punishment for your sins. And then they buried him in the ground. And on the ground, they, they rolled a tomb in front of the grave. And so the grave has swallowed up Christ. It's swallowed him up. Okay? He, he's completely enclosed by the grave. He's imprisoned by the grave. But then on Sunday morning... Jesus busts up out of the tomb as if to say, all that evil could put on me could not destroy me, and all the grave could not hold me. And because, because Jesus absorbed your sin, because Jesus took your place in the grave, took your place in hell, then now you don't have to be worried about damnation, and you don't have to be afraid of death. Do you see that? He's, he has solved your two biggest problems, the two biggest things that you're scared about in this world, your damnation and your death have all been taken care of by the cross and the resurrection is proof that there's nothing to be afraid of. Okay, so Paul takes that and in verse 51 and following, this is the end of his thought. Here's the gospel. Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again. Now watch. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We'll not all fall asleep but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility. This mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, but the, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
Here's the therefore. Okay, so that's the, that's the gospel. Jesus has, he has taken care of the, the biggest problems that you have. You are free from that. You're free from the penalty of your sins. You're free from the fear of death. Okay, so what am I supposed to do with it, Paul? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work. Why? Because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You can courageously do what you know is right and true and good. You can courageously stand up for Jesus, even if it kills you, because you know your burial is not the end. Because you know whatever you lose for Christ's sake, you will receive a hundred times over in the age to come. There is no work that you do for the Lord that is in vain. And so we can be courageous. And so I'd encourage you today, take that courage, take that bravery in out to the world. Because that's the only way that our world is going to go from death to life, from hell to heaven, is you've got to be brave. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you, Lord, that you've given us the victory. Lord, I pray that it lands on us today, how good you've been, how merciful you've been, how kind you've been, how much you've done, Lord, how you saved us from our sins, you saved us from the place that we deserve, and you've saved us into a place that we can never earn. You saved us into a relationship with you. You saved us into peace and joy and hope and kindness and goodness, and Lord, you've given us a life, Lord, that we can never earn or or get for ourselves, and so we praise you this morning, Lord. I pray that you'll remind us of the cross, that you remind us of your life and your death and your burial and your resurrection, and that we'll be all be filled with this conviction to go out in this world and take a stand for you, to go out in this world and take a stand against evil, to take a stand against all the, is, uh, all the lies, that we take a stand against all the work of the enemy, and that we take a stand for truth and justice. We take a stand for the gospel. We take a stand for all those lost souls that are being dragged to hell. We take a stand for all those people that are being mistreated. We take a stand for all those people that are addicts and abusers, Lord, and and that we will help this world move from hell to heaven, that we'll help this world move from darkness into light, that we'll help this world move from being disconnected to you to being in love with you. Lord, bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. Uh, We're going to sing a song of invitation, a song of celebration, a song of remembrance. Uh, In the back of the room, we have emblems that represent the body and blood of Christ. Uh, If you haven't already, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, Just take that in today and be reminded of the victory that you have in Jesus. Uh, We also have um, just these kneeling pads up here, and this is a place for you to come and pray. Uh, You can pray about anything that you're burdened by, anything that uh, is just overwhelming you, and, and the good news is that there's nothing too hard for my Lord. Amen? And there is no problem that is too great that he can't help you with. And the Bible says that if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. The Bible says, Jesus said, come to me all who are weak and weary and I'll give you rest. And we believe that that's true. And so if you're here today and you need prayer, please come and just kneel at this altar. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's the day of salvation. And I don't know um, what's holding you back. Uh, I do remember what it was like holding on to that pew in front of me for about 17 verses of just as I am, holding on for dear life, because I didn't want to surrender. I thought that I had it all figured out, and I wasn't sure if Jesus had it all figured out. I wasn't sure if he was going to mess my life up. But let me tell you, that was the best thing I ever do, to let go of that pew and walk up front. And so if that's you today, and, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, will you please come talk to me so I can tell you about your next steps?
As we sing this song, come.